0: Welcome to the Inspiring You Show. I'm Henry, and this, my friends, is a vibrational experience, a remembering of the truth of who we are. The content is LED encoded to assist you on your journey if you wish to receive for your highest good. Okay, my friends, today we are going to talk about a hot topic, dating and relationships. That is right, we are going there. So my friends, trusting your own intuition is often easier said than done, particularly when it comes to dating and romance. So it sometimes feels almost impossible to go about dating or not dating without being inundated by relationship advice that may or may not apply to you, no matter how well-intentioned. But the very personal nature of determining what you really want out of dating or a relationship, if anything, just makes cutting through all the noise that much more important. And how do we do that? How do we cut through the noise? And so I want you to take a moment, my friends, and just reflect. Think back to the time you had a challenging moment with your significant other. Chances are you may not have to think too hard because relationships can be challenging. They can be tricky sometimes to navigate. And even your best friends can't always make things easier when you're struggling. So who do you go to to make sense of it all? And if you do ask family and friends, sometimes you can feel like you're being bombarded by dating advice, again, no matter how well-intentioned. And sometimes that dating advice is also coming from their own perspective of what they would do rather than what is beneficial for you, even though they're trying to support you and help so where do you go? How do you figure out what to do and also what you actually want or don't want from a relationship? And what are the signs that are the go green signs that it's a beneficial relationship or what are some maybe flags on the play that you may want to look at? So today we will be talking with a very special guest, Kelly Miller, who happens also to be a relationship expert. Kelly is a psychotherapist, best-selling author, and radio host. Kelly is the award-winning author of Thriving with ADHD, which sold over 130,000 copies, and she's currently a relationship host on Balanced by Nature TV and a writer and a relationship host for wikihow.com. Kelly was a co-host on LA Talk Radio and an expert radio personalities for series xm radio she was the woman's relationship expert on the examiner.com and also the advice columnist to the largest listserv in the country as well as a freelance writer to over 12 magazines and newspapers kelly serves as a consultant for cognitive leap an app for kids with adhd as well as brillia homeopathic medicine for anxiety and impulsivity Kelly was recently quoted in Oprah Magazine in three separate relationship articles, and she's currently writing a couple's relationship book. Her private practice, where she sees individuals and couples, is located in Studio City, California. Thank you so much, Kelly, for being here. Thank you so much. I love this podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Great. So let's dive in. I feel at times that people can really get caught up in wanting to have a relationship or that idea of a relationship and love that they're sometimes really willing to forgo what makes them happy to fit into an ideal of someone else. So how can one approach calling in love and not losing your authentic
1: self? Yes. I love this first question because I think you are spot on. And I think the first step is recognizing I need to love myself first before I can love anybody else. And so I think the real dilemma is there's so many people who are looking for somebody else to fill themselves. And so we can feel fulfilled ourselves, then we can look at it more of a balance in a relationship rather than a fulfillment or seeking. Okay, so
0: many years ago, I was actually dating someone. And this person said to me, Mm -hmm. I need you to love yourself. Mm -hmm. And it felt like I was sucker punched. Uh, The air went out and I felt very vulnerable. That being said, though, it was one of those moments where I actually heard what he was saying. And and there are other times where I probably was saying it. Other people were saying it that I couldn't really Hear it and I heard it in that moment. And it felt like, oh, this is a truth I need to pay attention to. But I also felt vulnerable because, you know, when you're first dating someone, I don't know, you just want to look like that glossy picture from a magazine. But the reality is, he really saw and accepted all of me. Mm -hmm. And that relationship, one of the most beneficial things was that I heard that. And I really realized, oh, I really need to understand this aspect. Like, how do you love yourself? And what's interesting is I didn't really know how to go about it because it's not like, you know, in school, in between spelling and history, we're taught self-love. Right. And it was a very confusing aspect of like, what does self-love mean? And I know like self-care, obviously. Right. But can you dive into that from a therapist's perspective of like, what is self-love? What could it look like? What are some tangible takeaways that someone could go about in terms of self-loving?
1: So I think that, first of all, it's a process, right? We're not going to get there overnight. And so, yeah, I think the first step is recognizing your own worth and how you do that is doing things that you love, you know, feeling accomplished, finding your purpose, um, being surrounded by people who lift you. And so you feel good. And then really like accepting the fact that, okay, right. In order for, like I said, at the beginning for me to love somebody, I really have to love myself. And yeah, so I think that's the first step of getting there, of doing things that make you happy because then you automatically feel good. And then doing things that make you feel accomplished. Those are the key places to start with some of that self-love and also not getting down on yourself because It is hard. It's really hard to really, truly love yourself. And so just recognizing like, okay, you know, I'm a little bit more loving to myself than I was yesterday. So there's progress and knowing, okay, this is where I want to land is truly loving myself, but I'm getting there. Um, And so being gentle with yourself as you go through this process. So then the first step in terms of
0: becoming an expert in relationships is really a relationship with yourself. Correct. That is
1: absolutely right.
0: And then in relationing with yourself, it is really going into your heart, seeing what brings you joy. Yep. And letting yourself starting to take those baby steps, which you mentioned too, you know, it may not happen overnight. And exactly. being patient with yourself, cultivating a practice of patience. And right. I think it's sometimes challenging as adults because I feel like this pressure that you're supposed to know it all yes. and as an adult, you're supposed to be in this perfection aspect of, you know, knowing how to take care of yourself. And again, I'll just say in school, it's not like in my school, at least we weren't taught, you know, culinary, like here, we're going to make breakfast here. We're going to make lunch. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the things that <laughs> are really important in self-care, yes, self-love. Exactly. Yep. And so it's having that patience. And so what are some tools to cultivate like patience and kindness to self? So I think one way
1: is we can be so kind and loving to other people or even to animals. And it's just recognizing, okay, wait, hold on. I can do that same thing for myself. So if you can look at it like, okay, would I treat a friend like that? When I look in the mirror and tell a friend, oh, she looks terrible. It's like, no, no, no. So it's like, really, if you can even just separate that, like, okay, I'm going to start treating myself like I would treat my best friend. Um, And that's just sort of a good first step of treating yourself kindly. And you know, when I have my clients, I'll say to them, write down a list of five things that you love about yourself emotionally, five things you love about yourself physically. And it's hard for them. And I recognize that, but it's like, okay, but we all have certain things that we do love. And so it's like, okay, starting from that point and just kind of looking at that, being like, okay, yeah. And so if you start to focus on the things you don't like, I just want you to come back to the things that you do and say, okay, well, you know what? I don't love this about myself, but you know what I really love? I love this and kind of reframing it into more positive thinking. I
0: love that. I love that making a list of five things you love about yourself for emotional, five things you love yourself for physical. And I'm just going to say five things you love about yourself in terms of mental too. Yeah, I was going to say, or spiritual, exactly. Or spiritual. I love that. Mm -hmm. So friends out there listening, please take some time to journal and do this and put that list up. I also recently heard... um, I heard on another podcast, somebody, Mel Robbins was talking about how her and her husband were doing this. Um, I do a lot of mirror work and they were talking mm-hmm. about doing mirror work mm-hmm. and how there's data to back up it. Um, there's a stats, specifically in this one case, if you high five yourself every morning in the mirror, mm-hmm. it can really support you in terms of building like encouragement and love and kindness. And so Mel Robbins and her husband did it and her husband came on and it was really interesting because he got really emotional at some points talking about it, Mm -hmm. not realizing how, you know, probably that there was a dip in his self-esteem at some point in his relationship Mm -hmm. to work like that to go lifestyle, go, go, go expectation of, you know, success, being successful, being successful, being successful, Mm -hmm. and then not taking that time to be present with yourself. And so You know, he high-fived himself every morning in the mirror, and he found that there was a huge change in how he felt about himself, which goes along with what the statistics were saying in terms of
1: boosting your encouragement. Um, So, I, I love that. I'm sorry I have to interrupt you because it's so funny. I remember I was sitting for the social work exam, and I took a test prep course, and she had said that she recommended when you're in the test, use yourself in the third person of like, you got this, Kelly you got this because it's almost as if somebody's saying that to you. And I remember doing that and it really helped. It was like, okay, yeah, I got this, you know? And so it's like using yourself. And so that makes complete sense. It's like, yeah, finding yourself in the mirror, talking to yourself in that way. Um, I think it does. It sounds silly at first, but then I think you just get used to it. It's like anything else.
0: I love it. And it's really the coaching. And I was a cheerleader in high school and elementary school. So it really, for me, it really supports celebrating (laughs) the team spirit. So, okay. So that's another tool too. I will say sometimes with my clients, um, you know, I have a lot of compassion and even in my own experience and with my friends and family members, where sometimes I see that kind of you getting caught in that um, addicted to the idea of wanting love yet not allowing to be in the process of getting to know someone to see Mm -hmm. if they're a beneficial fit for you. It's almost like you go to the end of, you know, we're in the relationship as opposed to it's like when you go grocery shopping, if you're in the aisle of the produce, you're deciding, you know, which tomatoes you want to get and you're pausing and having a moment. But it's almost like with romantic love, there's sometimes this rush and it doesn't even seem like people enjoy dating. Or enjoy getting to know someone, like being open and curious. And in my work in Dowsing Energy Healing, you know, we'll clear the non-beneficial aspects of getting caught in what's called like a love bite situation. Mm -hmm. So that way the person can reset to connect to heart. So it's the heart to heart connection and not the addiction, no bite connection that's causing Mm -hmm. the grasping. So for you, like what in terms of any kind of recommendations you have or what could support
1: people? I love that because I think you're so spot on. Once again, I think people want to rush it. And I wonder if it's because there's that insecurity. Is this person going to be there? Is this going to work? I need to know now. Let me just sort of you know lock it in and instead of being patient. But I also think it has to do with our society that we're so fast paced. I mean, think about even swiping. It's like, you're just going, you're going. It's the next person. So it's like, let's use that same pace in a relationship. Like, okay, let's get there already. And it's like, I think we've lost sight of exactly what you're talking about of just Slowing down and enjoying those moments. So, for me, I think it's, and obviously, you can speak a lot to this, but it's going to be doing that grounding work of while you're dating, of like just settling in and saying, okay, you know, I'm just, I'm present right now. I'm going to just sort of take each date as they come, try not to get too ahead of myself. Really, anxiety or worry is fear of the future. So, we just have to get you back to the present. So, if your mind starts going there, what's going to happen? Where are we going with this? It's like bringing it back to the moment, like I'm okay at this moment. You know, I'm just going to take this one moment at a time, one text at a time. So, really centering back to the present. So, in order to not rush the relationship and get too far ahead, and then also recognizing, oh, this is my own anxiety in this, this is my own insecurity that this is not going to work out. So, how can I self soothe? Oh, okay, I can take a nice bath or I can call a friend or I can take care of myself and I don't need to let it bleed into the relationship.
0: So you bring up um some really good points. One, when you're getting caught in that, you know, forecasting into the future and that fear of the future which then can, you know, at times support ungrounding the human, that's what I call it in my language, and mm-hmm. also then, you know, the regulation process where you're a vagus nerve and you can become really dysregulated. So what are some signs that you could speak to that are signs of like dysregulation that maybe people then could have something to understand in the tangible?
1: Sure, really great question. So I think anxiety usually feels like a restlessness. It can feel like an irritability. It can feel like you need to do more, like frantic feeling, can feel overwhelming. Um, And then it can also look a little bit like depression or paralysis, So I think the key is really tuning in to when you start to feel a little bit off of like, oh, okay what's popping up for me? Because sometimes it's hard to sort of know what we're feeling, but it's really going to be important to have that check in. But yeah, if you notice sort of, um, you know, like more of a quickness, um, like I got to get this done or a panicky feel like an urgency, then it's like that's probably some anxiety creeping in. Is there something with breath, too, that could... Um, support people in recognizing. Yes. Thank you. There's the breath and then there's the increased heart rate. Um, Some people may even get like stomach aches or headaches. Um, So yeah, the body, the body doesn't lie, right? It tells us. Um, So yes, you're absolutely right. The breath like that, like kind of breathing more quick and shallow.
0: So sometimes when I'm doing energy work, if there's a lot of um, nausea, I can feel when people have nausea in their stomach Mm -hmm. and it's connected you know, my language is the solar plexus is feeling a powerlessness. It's usually connected also to anxiety, too. Yep. Um, I don't know if in your world, like sometimes if people are complaining about stomach
1: aches or that could be connected to anxiety. For sure. And I even see it. It's so funny. So I have two boys and my younger son was really nauseous coming home from school every day. And, you know, I just kind of thought, okay, there's got to be something deeper here because he doesn't have, you know, stomach bug or anything like that. And yeah, sure enough, he was anxious about school. So absolutely, I think it starts, right, as little kids. Um, And I think we're taught to kind of dismiss that or really think that it's just a purely physical issue. But it's not. The mind and body are so connected. Which you bring up another really good
0: point. We're so conditioned, which is something that I want to talk about. We are so conditioned about relationships, I feel, in terms of um, how, like, at a certain age in our society, being partner seems really important and it's become normalized in our cultural conditioning, or I feel that way. And then also just adding in, like, if you grew up in a heterosexual or a monogamous household, it may be difficult to think outside of these norms, mm-hmm. but that doesn't negate the fact that a different relational structure might be better aligned with someone in where they are or with their values and desires, mm-hmm. right? Where other arrangements that are not based on the idea of this nuclear family where all the needs are met by one romantic partner inside the home where you also have children Mm -hmm. at a certain age and you know because what if you choose to be single and I was just going to speak to myself where um, when I had that moment in my life of that person saying this to me I felt it in my heart and I just felt and I feel like I'm getting emotional right now I just felt like wow, I really need to take time to, to love, learn to love myself. I need to take time to honor myself. I need to figure out who I am and what I want at this point of my age. And so there's been a considerable amount of time in my adult life that I have been single. And sometimes it's really challenging because sometimes you're not invited to the parties because you don't have a partner or invited to the dinners because you don't have a partner. Or they don't know where to put you at like the events, you know, mm-hmm. like weddings and things like that. So sometimes you're kind of at the, you know, the cast off table. Yes. Or like it's sometimes just really awkward. People will ask you, um, you know, are you seeing someone? And there was once a situation for me, I was at a wedding and this was many, many years ago. And I was sitting next to a friend of mine, a guy friend of mine whom I knew for years and he was, married and I went to his wedding but his wife um still would get insecure about other women around him Mm -hmm. and so she leaned over to me during um during dinner and said and put her hands like on his legs near his you know and Mm -hmm. I was like oh she is like saying like this is my man and I wasn't even like I wasn't even right. flirting with him. I was He's like he's like a brother to me. Uh-huh. Like, I was literally talking to him like my brother. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see I was like, wow, she's really staking her claim. I'm like, sister, you're married. I went to your wedding. Right. About <laughs> hey, your wedding gift. Yeah. I mean, I knew it before <laughs> you. Like, seriously, if I was interested, I, I was like, I'm not. And But I saw that and I was like, wow, she needs like some reassurance. And so I was like, I need to be able to enjoy this wedding. And so then she's leaned over and she said, well, are you dating anyone? And I could just tell by the tone that she needed to hear that I was dating someone. Right. And so I'll just say right now, like all of a sudden I was like, I remembered the Brady Bunch and I don't know, this may be dating me. But there was a scene in the Brady Bunch mm-hmm. where one of the characters made up a boyfriend. George Glass. I don't know if you remember, Jan made up George Glass. Uh Uh-huh. And so I then was like, wow, I can feel her anxiety. And I'm not somebody who would, you know, I don't lie. I don't make Mm -hmm. up things. But Mm -hmm. this was a moment where I was like, I just, I feel so uncomfortable because as an empath, I could feel her feelings. Right. And I was like, I'm so uncomfortable with her anxiety. And so then I just was like, Yeah, I kind of seeing this person and I just kind of made it very nonchalant. And she's like, what is his name? And she just had to know that there was a name. And I was like, and I literally thought of Brady Bunch. Yeah, And I was like, George. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, I can't even believe like what is happening. But then she relaxed Mm -hmm. for the rest of the wedding and you know, we were able to dance together, right. with my friend and her, and just enjoy the wedding. And again, you know, I'm not like somebody who lies, but there was a moment where I was like, I can't. It's so difficult sometimes being out there in the world in these, you know, normalized ways that people think are cultural norms. And you're choosing a different path. And people like, you can feel sometimes a judgment like, what's wrong with you? Or are you going to you know, take my person. And there's so much insecurity and jealousy. So how do we, I know I've said a lot, like how do we move through (laughs) this? And like, how do we denormalize what we think the norm
1: is so people can breathe and be themselves no matter what they choose? So first of all, the first thing I'll say is it says more about her than it does about you, right? So any people experiencing something similar we have to remember that that's coming from her and it doesn't say anything about you, right? So what I'm hearing is somebody who's very insecure about her relationship. So it's nothing to do with you, right? Um, You know, I love that expression, like hurt people, hurt people, right? Like if somebody's really happy with themselves or their relationship, they're not gonna be focusing on somebody who's single. Like it's just not going to be in their radar because they're happy, they're content, they're living their own life. Um, But yeah, how we can do with that, I totally agree with you. I think we normalize that, First of all, being single is okay. There is nothing wrong. Uh, you know, it's healthy. It, there's, I think that we're just, yeah, we're so conditioned that being partnered is the right way to go. And if you're not, you're anomaly and outcast, however you want to see it. So I agree with you. I think the first step is just normalizing it. Um, you know, I even just, I'm sure hearing it right now probably feels good to be like, okay, I'm okay if I am. There's not something wrong with me. To me, I'd rather somebody, you know, even if they want to be alone by choice, but even if they haven't found that person, to me, it shows like they're not willing to settle, which is something that I think so many people do just because they want to be partners. So when I hear about somebody who is single and has been dating for a while and hasn't found that person, and to me, it's like good for them. They're not, they don't feel desperate. They don't feel like they need to latch on um, because of their own insecurity. They're really waiting for somebody who knocks their socks off and they feel like as a quality person. Um, so, you know, to me, yeah, it's normalizing it and also, um, you know, and, and recognizing where you are in your life, right? Like you had said, you took that time to really love yourself. And, and I think that is so important. I get really nervous when people jump from relationship to relationship to relationship because it's like, but who are you, you know, in all of this? So I think there's so much quality time that can happen when you are single that people underestimate. Um, you know, and how you can grow and evolve if you empowered. And it's interesting because
0: lately I've been seeing a lot more people talk about being single and choosing that. I think Chelsea Handler did something on it. And then also speaking about, like, as a woman, if you've made a choice not to have children as well, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that also can be looked at in terms of you look down upon or judgment. Or people just, honestly, people don't know what to do with you. I'm a I you know empath sensitive in terms of a frequency feeler. I can feel the judgment and sometimes also my telepathic abilities are strong at times and I can sometimes hear the thoughts. Wow. And so you're like, oh. And <laughs> then you're like that you're standing in front of the person and I have to make, you know, my face has to be completely calm and neutral and I just heard them like yeah. Why doesn't she have kids? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with her? Why doesn't she have a partner? What's wrong with her? And it's really like wow. And so you know, you do when you're in as I'm talking about this I'm like in some ways I've like armored myself up in society to protect myself. And even when I was talking about like oh that's an interesting choice I made about bringing the Brady bunch, the George Glass, that's my non-beneficial codependency tendencies to then make somebody else feel better, mm-hmm. to then make the situation better for them because they feel uncomfortable. Exactly. Right. And meanwhile, I, again, I was saying like, oh, I'm not somebody who like lies because as somebody who's an empath, I can feel the truth. Mm-hmm. So I have a different relationship with truth than most people. And I'm now like, wow, that's so interesting that I would then go out of alignment with something I value based on what something is more important to someone else. But I think again there's so much pressure in society to be more like everyone else that when you're the person that's different mm-hmm. how do you walk that line to staying in alignment to your right. truth exactly. and being okay with yeah. being different even though you
1: know there's like judgment all around you right so i think you you make a really good point that you recognized her anxiety her discomfort and so you changed your own needs to fulfill hers. Right. And so I think that it's that reminder that we got to take care of ourselves first and foremost. Right. And so, you know, that's a perfect situation. We're right. You sacrificed your own needs and your own discomfort in order to appease her. And so we always have to remember, no, I got to come back to me. This is my life. Nobody else is living it for me. I have to live it. And so right, it's getting comfortable with the fact that you are single. And so I think that's going to be the first step because if, if you're not fully comfortable, then other people are going to pick that up or then you may you know, try to sacrifice your own needs. So it's you getting comfortable and you recognizing like, okay, I'm in this situation. I may not want to be, I may want to be, whatever it is, but I need to be in acceptance of that. I need to look at it as a blessing in these ways and remind yourselves of the reasons why um, and then really, you know, walking that walk and holding your head up high and saying, yeah, this is where in my life, um, you know, it may not be this way forever or it could be this way forever, however we want to choose it. But, you know, it's exuding that confidence in it. And I think that's probably going to be super helpful going forward.
0: And I think you said it a couple of times in terms of, you know, choosing. And mm-hmm. I think that recognizing sometimes I feel like people feel like they don't have a choice because they're getting caught in the anxiety or the sadness or the despair of what they don't have. And it's that grasping. Right. So how do you come to clarity that you do have a choice and like what tools can you use to support Mm -hmm. yourself kind of finding that
1: way? So, yeah, I mean, I think it is tough. I have a lot of clients who are single and don't want to be they want to have a partner which makes perfect sense and again like that's okay too right we are social creatures we want to be with others you know so that's okay too i think that it's working in that in between where they do want that which makes sense but okay so how can we help you in that in between right and so it's going back to a lot of those things that we were talking about at the beginning mm-hmm. of really kind of doing those things that you love and living your life in the in-between however that looks to you um doing volunteer work, doing your passions, learning a new language. Um, And then it's also, yes, saying yes to things, right? So that there is potential to meet people. Um, Anytime somebody says anything, some sort of social event, it's saying yes to that. Um, And so it's just recognizing that, okay, this is a transition period that I'm in. I may not love it, which is understandable. And, you know, we have to understand that, but it doesn't mean forever, and it means that maybe the universe is coming up with a with a plan for me later on. But it just right now in my life, I'm supposed to be in this space for whatever reason, learning, evolving, growing, all of that.
0: And then, would there be, um, in terms of mindfulness tools or you know other things that people could practice that could support them staying in that kind of um, more of a beneficial mental state as they are? Because, granted, if you're just getting back into the dating pool. Mm-hmm. You can oh. be uncomfortable. And and that's where it's like, I think also people want to jump into like the, I'm in the joy of the love, which yeah. yes, you can mm-hmm. be, but you may also be uncomfortable. Yes. And it's- so how do you learn to be uncomfortable
1: in the growing aspect of doing something new as an adult? Sure. So I'll answer the first part of that question first is like, what do you do, you know, in that in between? And I think, you know, I think it's just one of those grounding mantras, like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. Reminding yourself, you know, because to me, there are no accidents. We're exactly where we're supposed to be. So it's like, okay, this is painful. This is uncomfortable, but this is where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, it's that recognition. Um, and then, you know, with the discomfort of dating, it is hard. I mean, I can't deny that. I wish I could say it was easy. It's not online dating, especially, I think is very difficult. Um, And so it's, you know. So then
0: bringing in compassion for yourself then where "Eh, this is difficult, but you're okay, you're okay. I always say, I'm okay. That's the mantra that is, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, Mm -hmm. yes, this feels scary, recognize, but I'm okay,
1: I'm okay, I'm okay. You can do this, human, you're okay. Human. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the truth is, it's also the reminder of like, it's not just difficult for me, it's difficult for everybody, right? So everybody I've talked to, because the dating, it's really not easy for anybody, you yeah. know, it's that like, because I think we want to isolate and be like, oh, my God, it's just me. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this. It's like, no, no, it's really hard all around. It just is. It's much like as you were
0: saying that I was imagining um, a school dance when you go to the school dance. Mm-hmm. Everyone's <laughs> <a special giant. laughs> like, yeah, like when you're a freshman and everybody's on you know, the girls or people are on one side of the room and then people are on the other side of the room and everyone's just kind of staring at each other. You're like, it's yeah. that awkward stage. and yeah. like, just let's embrace the awkwardness. Have fun with the awkwardness. Yes. yes, it's awkward, but people, especially when you are, you know, when I was talking about that wedding, I mean, that situation, I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. which, you know, now I'm 51. I probably would make a different choice now sure. where it wouldn't bother me because at, you know, in my 20s, you know, your mid 20s, you're still your brain isn't even fully formed. You're trying to figure out who am I? What's happening here? Mm Right. And, you know, I really was acquiescing in a lot of ways in codependency back then. And that was just then, oh, look Mm -hmm. at what's happening here. You catch yourself, the self-realization of it. And I had a huge self-realization from that moment. And so it was beneficial for me. And so how can we embrace the awkwardness and and really leaning into that discomfort, which then in mindfulness, they say, then it softens the edges. Right. Exactly. And and allows it to soften the edges. So using then mantras will be supportive, obviously, like Mm -hmm. breath work, meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think just like, how can we have more fun, more humor with it? Well, I
1: think also too. So I want to speak on the humor part of it too, which I have a lot to say, but also more importantly is like recognizing that even a bad day, a lesson is learned, right? And maybe you're one step closer to finding your potential person. So it never goes wasted, right? It's like recognizing, oh, okay. So maybe I could look a little bit harder, you know, for red flags or, oh, I wonder if I ignore this on purpose. Or, you know, hey, maybe I'll have a video chat before I have a first date so that I feel like I'm screening somebody. So there's always something that can be learned from it. So I never want people to feel like I wasted my time. It's like, no, no, no. You got something out of it. Maybe it wasn't pleasant, but there was a lesson in it. However, you can view it. And then humor. I 100% agree with you. I mean... You have to make light of it. It's funny. There are awkward profiles. There are hysterical profiles. It's just making humor and fun out of it. And, you know, I have crazy dating stories that I, you know, would tell my girlfriends about or something like that, where it's just funny and you have to laugh. Um, So, yeah, I think that is part of that process of laughing at the situation to get through it. As you were talking,
0: I was thinking about also John Hughes films, which again, I'm dating myself, John Hughes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 16 candles and breakfast club and that real like i don't know why we think we outgrow high school awkward like as dating it just looks so differently true. as as an it's as you so hate. true
1: breakfast club by the way is one of my favorite movies is i it? love that movie <laughs> But you're so right. But it's like that feeling never quite goes away. And the truth is, right, we all don't feel like we fit in. Like I hear this all the time with my clients and I'm like, I wish I could just spread that message that we all feel awkward. We all feel like we're not good enough. We all feel like we don't fit in, you know. So it's a universal feeling and, you know, that imposter syndrome and, you know, all of that. So every person feels that in some capacity, too. And so recognizing that part. So if you feel really anxious, uncomfortable on a date, Um, just reminding yourself like, oh, yeah, that. My date probably feels it too. And, you know, and so that's okay. And it's normal to be nervous on a date. Like you just, you know, you don't know this person. You're sitting at dinner, there's pressure. So it's like, there's we've got to normalize that piece of it that you're not going to feel fully comfortable. And with it too, is, you
0: know, in recognizing that it just empowers you as well. Mm-hmm. It gives you that empowerment. And, I don't know. I, I just think that the more that we just lean into it, the more it could be just beneficial, which you also brought up another really good point where when you're on these first dates, getting to know someone. I think sometimes I feel like my clients can or even my friends or family members that dating can seem so stressful that not only the fun is zapped out, but it's like they kind of just lose their authenticity of themselves to what interests they have. And then they pose a question like, you know, does this person like me? And they're so worried about if that person likes them that they don't even consider. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've said in my life. Well, do you like that person? Exactly. Do you like them? Right. It's not that. And and they try to argue with you like, no, no, no. But do you think that person (laughs) likes me? No, but
1: do you like that person? Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah because I think we get lost in like we want to feel that security. so it's like, okay, but I, I want to know like does that does he or she like me like i gotta feel I' got feel validated, you know, and all of that, but you're right. It's like you have to remember, you're potentially interviewing this person also, and you have to make sure that you like him that's the most important thing,
0: yeah, and, and it is you just brought up interviewing the person. Mm-hmm. you are going on a series of interviews. It is like a job. It is. And you may not want to take the first job. No. You exactly. may you may get there and you think that in paper looks great, but you got there and then you looked at the culture of the place. It may not be a good fit for you. Very true. Very or, true. or in terms of the financial flow, it may not be there in terms of you where another job might be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so how do people not lose in terms of their values and what they need? Like, I think also part of it is people don't have the clarity on what they actually want. How do you decide on, you know,
1: what is it that I want? Yeah. So I think you, again, you write a list of five to 10 priorities for you and what that looks like, right? And those are your kind of green flags, so to speak. And so that could be, um, you know, a person who communicates well. Um, it could be anything, somebody who's athletic because, you know, I'm a marathon runner or, you know, anything of that kind of thing. Uh, somebody who is isn't Are you? No. I, I'm <laughs> making, not. I'm not. Never done one in my life. But, you know, if that's important to you, if you are like that person, you'd, you know, maybe want somebody who's athletic, um, somebody who's intelligent, you know, any of those lists. And you have that priority. And then you have your red flags list of, okay, I don't want to, you know, be with somebody who's married. I don't want to be with somebody who's not financially stable. You know, anything that maybe is of importance to you. And you kind of adhere to that list. Now, that doesn't mean That, you know, you meet someone wonderful and he's not athletic, you can't be with him. But it's just kind of a guideline, a reminder of, wait, these things are really important to me. Um, And you kind of follow that as a little bit of a structure. So in my world,
0: we do intentions and it's like, what do you want in terms of these intentions? Which would be, you know, cultivating those values and those connections Mm -hmm. of, you know, what is it that you want to experience? And then we will Reiki and then clear anything with dousing, any of the blockages to it. And then once we've done that, it's like, okay, just send Reiki to it daily and then let yourself co-create with the universe for the highest good in terms of the flow. And sometimes it can manifest, you know, instantly. Sometimes yeah. it could be like a year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but along the way, like you said, there's something there. Like you said, even if you went on a date that went sideways, right. there is something there for you for your highest good. So are you willing to let go of the disappointment or the idea of that I'm being rejected look beyond mm-hmm. the surface to actually see like there's something here for me in terms of the gem instead of coming it from that space of oh my god I like dating just is awful which you also brought up changing the storylines changing right. that narrative mm-hmm. because what I'm finding is is that it just comes back to are you enjoying your life And part of enjoying your life is if you're, you know, yes, I'm going to go on this dating. Mm -hmm. Let yourself date then. Go on dates. Enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. It may be awkward. Enjoy the awkwardness. Mm -hmm. It may be Mm -hmm. like, that's not right for me. Mm -hmm. Enjoy it. Right. And get to know yourself as well as the person. Like be curious about the person and who's in front of you instead of wondering, oh, is this person going to be with
1: me in like a week or a year or whatever, mm-hmm. which comes back? What were you going to say? Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I agree with you fully on everything. And, and it's also like, yeah, I think it is just being okay with trusting that, okay, you know, if it's not now, it's going to be potentially later. Because I think we get so caught up and there's like a hopelessness. I think that's what I'm hearing you describe. It's like, oh my God, but it's never happened for me. And there's like a jadedness that comes with dating. So I think there needs to be a little bit of that trust of like, okay, I've got to trust that this will happen for me if you really, you know, if that's what you're seeking. Um, and it's just not now. And so, you know, having a little bit of that faith or, you know, trust, however you want to look at it, I think can be helpful too in those moments. So then, which is, you
0: bring up, you know, a couple of great points. One, trust. And Mm -hmm. that's also part of trusting yourself, trusting the process that it's unfolding. Yes. And letting yourself know that, you know, it's going to happen for the highest good and letting go of that definitive timing that you're trying to put on it. Exactly. Which in my world then can block it because you're trying to control too much. And then you also bring up, you know, in terms of hopelessness, what do you do with hopelessness when
1: somebody's getting really caught in hopelessness? I think you take a break at that point if you need to. I mean, I think there's this idea like, I keep going on my person and I'm going to, you know, not have the time and then I'm missing out. And it's like, maybe that's an opportunity to take a break and to step back and say, you know what? Mm-hmm. It sounds like I'm a bit overwhelmed with all this. I feel betrayed. I'm just going to step back and take a break and maybe take a little bit, uh, uh, you know, take a vacation for B. Take another path, another route about something else. Maybe that's, hey, I need more time with my girlfriends right now. Um, You know, it can be just a little bit of a pivot. And then you come back to it if you want to, if you're ready. You know, that's kind of how I see it.
0: Which I kind of feel like sometimes you maybe can get, you think you can get burnt
1: out from dating? 100%. It's exhausting. I mean, swiping and then the conversations. How are you? Good. How are you? You know, you just get it you get exhausted. It's tiring. So, you know, I welcome breaks. I think that they're needed and, you know, we need to rejuvenate and come back to us and maybe reprioritize or look into another avenue of dating too, which is like, because, you know, to me, online dating is just very hard. So it's like, okay, maybe I look into a matchmaker or, you know, another avenue because this just doesn't feel right to me right now, or it's just too much. Yeah. I mean, I really like that, like a matchmaker or a coach. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. And even as you're saying, like, maybe even thinking of the word dating differently, like going on dates with yourself. When you go out with your friends, right. that's dates too. When exactly. you go out with your family, that's dates too. And mm-hmm. sometimes you also need a little space from family and friends right. by yourself. It's so and true. so letting yourself have that balance, which I guess is also really important for your neck, getting really consumed and obsessed that, you know, I
1: got to find the one, I got to find the one, I got to find the one. Right, exactly. And I think people will be surprised too. I think there's this fear of like, I don't want to do it alone. Right. But no, I'm a big proponent of meetups. When I was first separated, I went to like a hiking group meetup and it was like one of the best things I ever did. It was like hiking and then they did yoga afterward. And I just like fell in love with that group and I looked forward to it. And it just made me feel connected and purposeful and, um, you know, gave me adrenaline and you know, all those things. And so it's like that's something that I never would have found if I was a partner. And so it was such a cool delight, right? So it may surprise you. And so it's really like checking in what kind of things do I like to do and where can I, you know, do those things um in the meantime, right? In this transitionary period or however you want to look at it. Yeah.
0: So you bring up also um how long so we've been married? divorced four years. Okay. So you never. divorced for four years. How long were you married? Fifteen. Fifteen years. And so in the marriage in 15 years, what were some mm-hmm. of the um, tools that you used to support yourself through the marriage in terms of relationship mm-hmm. aspect?
1: Well, I think that's the other piece, too, right? People forget that, like, often when you're in relationships, you can also lose yourself in that way, too, right? And I think that's just natural. It could kind have of happened. So after I was separated, it was nice to sort of come back to me in ways that I had forgotten that I had lost. Um But yeah, so, you know, I think it's super important when you're in a relationship. And and I tried to do this in mind too, of like, you know, not making your partner. And you had mentioned this, the sole person, the everything, right? Because a partner just can't be everything. So I would have special dates with my girlfriends or weekends away with my friends. Um, And I still had my own independent life and did things that I like to do also, right? Independent of my husband. And so I think those are super important because you still need to maintain a sense of identity and who you are and to make sure that you don't lose that part of you. So you, um,
0: in your bio, it says you're writing a book about couples. Mm -hmm. Can you share some of what it's going to be about?
1: Yeah, so I am right now in the process, let's see, fingers crossed, um, talking to some publishers about this. But yeah, it's basically the 15 most common relationship issues and three solutions for each one. So, you know, working now with, I don't know, over 500 couples, it's kind of like the same things you hear over and over again, right? Like my partner doesn't listen to me. Um, You know, my partner doesn't want to have sex anymore, you know, things like that. And so it's kind of like some solutions to that. Um, What would
0: be some of the solutions? Can you give us a little bit of a...
1: Yes, I'll give you a little teaser. Um, So like, for example, you know, my partner doesn't listen to me. And so to me, a lot of times it's really just the basic communication That needs to be taught. Right. And so one thing I talk about in the book is something called fast food communication rule. So a lot of times kind of think we're hearing our partner, but we're really not. And so it's really just kind of mirroring what they're saying to you. So, you know, if you think about a fast food restaurant, McDonald's, you know, you go up to the window when you're in the drive through and you said like, you know, a McFlurry shake and a small fries and they repeat back what they said to you and they even show it on the screen for clarity. I think we need to do that with our partners. So, for having those really difficult conversations, it's you're your partner saying to you, like, I'm really upset. You're working late all the time. So, it's really just kind of mirroring back of like, okay, so what I'm hearing you say is you're upset that I've been working late so much. And it's like the person immediately feels validated. Okay. Yeah. They heard me. Or they have the opportunity to correct or like, no, no, no. I actually meant, you know, that I'm upset that when you do work late, this happens or, you know, whatever it is. So, it's a really nice, clarification tools. So the book's kind of like things like that, where, you know, I, just common issues. And then just I'm a very tool based therapist. I like to give tools to my clients so that they can walk away and they can utilize this. Um, and so it's a real tool based book that. We'll so see. what did
0: you learn through the flow of at least some of these things from your marriage that you learned as well as from working with couples? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think it's both. I mean, I think they're universal. I think it happens, you know, no matter what culture or status, any of that. I think we all could, we all need refreshers, right? On communication because we get so caught up in our feelings and in the moment. And it's like, oh yeah, I need to kind of step back and sort of revisit some of these basic tools. Or sometimes we're not taught it at all, right? We had modeling growing up and our caregivers weren't the best models for that. So it's like, wow, this is the first time or they don't know what a healthy relationship looks like. And so there's some psychoeducation around that of like, okay, wait, this is kind of, what a healthy relationship looks like, those kind of things uh I took some nonviolent
0: communication courses last year, which were just amazing. And the fast food um reference kind of reminds me of um of the course that I took, and in it it, it all it, how important communication is and I was a communication major in college, and i it just reminded me how much I love taking communication classes, but also like you're saying about the importance because you know coming back to the needs and wants, like what do you want and what do you need? right? In in communication, whether or not you're saying it or not, you are speaking in needs and wants. And sometimes it can be so confusing that we think that our partner or someone else is going to get it as we're communicating, but that's just not the case. And so right. having what you're saying, the clarity on what is it that you want and need, mm-hmm. and also understanding that It also doesn't mean that if you are in a romantic relationship that the partner is the expectation of that they're going to meet those needs and wants. Exactly.
1: Uh, Yes, very much
0: so. (laughs) Because (laughs) they may not be able to. However, they can be in humility and compassion and say, I'm really sorry that Mm -hmm. I'm not able to. And that just gives you an opportunity then to be like, okay, well, I still have this need and want. And let me go see here. Mm -hmm. So in working with this then, How did you support yourself moving then in terms of marriage, separation? Mm -hmm. Like what were some of the tools that you used to help Mm -hmm. yourself? You know, were you hurt from it? Were you sad?
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, one thing that I realized that I loved, one of my favorites, uh, favorite author, inspirational person is Pema Chodron. She got divorced. And I love that because it's just a sort of that reminder that, you know, in our toughest space, you know, we can really evolve and grow. And if you look at people who you find inspiring, they chances are they haven't had an easy life, right? So in order to be wise, I think you need to go through a lot of obstacles. And so, you know, for me, one of those things was that reminder of like, okay, this is a really tough time, but like there's growth in this. And again, there's lessons learned, um, but for sure. But I let myself grieve too, which I think is so important. I think we push ourselves a lot to like move on, get over it. And it's like, sometimes you just need to be in it, right? You need to cry on the bathroom floor. Like you need to do all those things. Um, but yeah, I got support. I went to you know my own therapist. My friends were wonderful. I traveled a ton. That was one thing that I really needed. It was like, okay, I think in order for me to heal, I need perspective. I need to get out of myself my own pity party and kind of see what's out there. And um, and that really helped me. And then really kind of building a new life for myself and understanding that there is this transition, right? There's a death of something that I thought, there's a death of a dream, there's a death of an institution, you know, all of that, and then kind of creating a new life for myself. And I think in, you know,
0: bringing up grief, I think like sometimes people don't realize that when you're married and then getting a divorce, that is, that is a death, that is a loss, that is grief. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the signs that somebody would be in grief yes. in a relationship?
1: So I did a radio show a few years back and I had this uh, author on who wrote the Grief Recovery Handbook. And I was married at the time and he would... he would, I've done that program, by the way. Oh, it's really?
0: Excellent program. Yeah, it's
1: really good. And so he had lost somebody, like I think it was a child and. Um, You know, and he was talking about the grief, but he repeatedly talked about his divorce. And I just remember thinking like, oh, my God, wow, this guy really, you know, is talking a lot about his divorce. And I really would have thought that the focal point would have been the loss of somebody that he loved. Right. You know, a death, an actual death. And how could sort of a divorce be in that category? And I couldn't quite understand it until I went through it. I was like, wow, it is 100 percent a death. It is a loss. So I think that it's not talked about enough, um, that it is a legitimate loss. And so I think it's first that education around it, that this is a a true grief and a loss of something. And even if you initiated it, right, like nobody goes into marriage thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to get divorced. I mean, for the most part, we're all kind of hopeful. Um, And so, yes, there's a 100 percent loss. But, yeah, I think the grief, um, you know, some signs of that are going to be Similar to depression, right? So, a lot of sadness, crying, lack of sleep, or more sleep could be a lack of appetite or eating more. It could be a hopelessness, uh, questions about, you know, if you want to live. I think all of those are real signs of either depression or grief or both. Yeah. What I've also noticed too is that
0: um, sometimes people feel like there's a big failure. Oh, for that sure. they failed mm-hmm. and that. And so because it wasn't, you know, society successful where you stayed married, Mm -hmm. you failed. Right. And I think that then there's a real negating of self. Like, how would somebody work through that
1: then Mm -hmm. of, you know,
0: reframing that narrative?
1: I think the first thing is that, you know, it's this idea, I think, in our mind that, like, all relationships should last forever. And I think we need to change that, that you know, maybe all relationships aren't meant to be forever. Maybe you're supposed to be with this person for a certain time to learn things. And that's good enough. Right. And so we have to change that, that it doesn't mean it's a failure. It means you had done your time. You had learned your lessons. Right. So, you know, look, life is a cycle. There's a beginning, middle and end to everything. And so, you know, relationships are just also part of that. Um, and so I do think we need to reframe that, that, you know, when a relationship ends, it doesn't mean it was a failure. It doesn't. It mean, OK, well, what did I learn from it? So if you learn something from it can't be a failure because you've learned you've grown
0: into enjoying the experience. If you've enjoyed the experience and you've had moments where, I don't know, you were cooking and laughing. That's something that probably brought a lot of heart happiness. Exactly. It's and, so true. And just because you didn't have every moment ending in that happily ever after, Life. can you give yourself the gratitude of the moments that were lived in presence? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's really important. I also um with energy healing and energy of grief, grief can be really heavy as an energy. Mm-hmm. And um so sometimes tiredness can come in where I'll give you an example say if you're going to go clean the refrigerator and normally you'd be able to do the whole refrigerator, Mm -hmm. you might find that you're tired after just doing one part of the fridge. And so grief is a heavy emotion. And I think sometimes people don't discern between, wow, I'm feeling tired, that that could be grief.
1: Right. Processing. Thank you so much. Yes. It's a feeling of like, you may feel like you've been like walking in quicksand. It's sort of like that sluggish, right? Or you just don't feel as motivated. You can't figure out why all of that. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's very true. So then
0: for you, one of the things that you recommend then in terms of your own shifting and Mm -hmm. working with clients, you know, you got yourself in terms of into activities that you had enjoyed before. So that, you know, hiking and yoga group, that meetup, Mm -hmm. Um, which by the way, I've gone to meetups too. And they're great. Mm -hmm. Just getting yourself out there. And I feel, I do feel like because after pandemic, I feel like we've kind of insulated a bit where we stayed more inside, but now the energy of this month is this fiery energy coming in. That's actually Mm -hmm. propelling us to, you know, go into movement more because yeah. Right. So then recommending then, you know, seeing what you're interested in and, even if you don't know, just try things. You might not like everything. Just Mm -hmm. be open to try things. It may be feel uncomfortable, but be willing to be in the discomfort of it. Mm -hmm. And knowing that that's probably going to be fleeting because again, what, how long do emotions last? Is it like 90 seconds emotion can last?
1: Yeah, it's very quick. I don't know the exact, but you're right. And we can work through it. Or also knowing you may be uncomfortable for the first exactly few minutes, but then at the end, you may be like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I stuck with it. Right. So that first feeling doesn't mean it's going to last the entire
0: time. I always say like to my clients, you might feel uncomfortable, but can you lean into bravery energy? Lean into that. that bravery energy. Okay. so also then when you are deciding to date, how do you decide if a potential partner is really right for you? Like, what are some of the signs that somebody could
1: recognize? So I think there's a difference, right, between having a healthy relationship, right, and maybe feeling like somebody's right for you. And I think they both can interject, but I guess I'll speak first on the healthy relationship, right? So, you know, again, it's those green flags that we kind of talked about where, you know, it shouldn't feel difficult right it should feel very easy it should be an easy flow so you know it's going to be what you think of as a healthy person someone who treats you kindly somebody who you know communicates to you somebody who appreciates your needs and values right somebody you feel comfortable expressing your needs to um things of those sort so that's kind of what a healthy relationship and how do you know if somebody's right for you i think if it's a healthy relationship and it's also Kind of, I'm a pig, just like you. Like a body, mind. Like, does this feel right in my body? How do I feel when I'm with this person? Like, am I at ease, right? Or am I tense? Am I anxious? Am I, no? Um, so interesting. I'll just share. I had dated somebody who was a really good guy, but I just in my body something didn't feel right, and it was almost like my body wouldn't let me. Like my mind was like, no, he's a good guy, you know. My body was like, I was breaking out. I couldn't sleep. I was not eating. My body was like, "Mm -hmm. nope, not going to let you. And I had to end it because it's like my body was like, this isn't right. So I think we need to also just really trust what our body's saying to us. And so that would be my suggestion is like, what do you feel when you're around this person? And, you know, again, like just trying to tune out everything else, because you said at the beginning, right, our friends are going to want to give us advice. Our parents are going to want to give us advice. Um, you know, all of that and just kind of tuning that out and really listening to yourself, what feels right to you. Which
0: it's interesting because you were just saying like your mind, because your mind can be conditioned to society, to your friends and family, to grandma who really wants you to be in a relationship or, (laughs) you know, your parents (laughs) who want you to be married and and secure, right? Mm -hmm. You are now secure because you're married. Yes. Um, Or now then you can have a family. You're secure. You're set up. Mm -hmm. which then in some ways your mind is lying to you because it's from a narrative that is from the cultural conditioning or society or from family that then that narrative is just coming in to kind of almost like some ways brainwashing you to try to say yes. Yeah. But that's where then using mindfulness to clear the past, Mm -hmm. to be in the present, bringing the mind to the present with the body Finish. And checking in because the body, as Dr. Bessel Vanderklove from the Body keeps mm-hmm. the score, the body keeps the score, and you just brought in a you know perfect illustration of it that your body, you're breaking out, things are happening in your body, mm-hmm. and it was not happening before when you nope. were dating this person, nope. and now your body's letting you know, hey, yep, this and right. yeah, this isn't right. If the body's telling you something, having mm-hmm. this extreme reaction but your mind is on the other side, of the bed per se. Yes. How do you bring the mind and the body to work oh more God. in
1: harmony with one another? I'm telling you, it was probably, it was one of the most anxiety, like fulfilled experiences for me because there was such a battle. And I was almost mad at my body. Like, stop doing this. I just want to like be, you know, in this relationship. And it was like, my body's like, you know, and then of course, afterward, I realized like, oh my God, thank God my body was telling me and all that. But- Yeah. I mean, I think, again, it's a process, right, where I really just wanted to take that time to be sure, like, okay, you know, you don't have to rush. It's like, you know, it's maybe taking a little bit of that time of like, okay, is this just a one-day thing? Am I just off today? Is my, you know, my stomach, am I not right? And then it's kind of recognizing, oh, this is continuous. This is happening over time. It sounds as if I need to make a decision here in order to feel better. And then also, you know, or even saying, okay, My body's out of alignment. Something's not right. Okay, I need to take a pause in this relationship and see if I feel better, you know, which was the case with me, like, immediately. I felt better. I had an appetite again, you know, all of that. So it was very clear. It was like, okay, yes, this was it. It's evident. All of that. It's trusting that and being in tune with it and, and really trying to get out of your own conditioning because i had that too of like wait but no no no, this works and this works and trying to convince myself um i really was i was really trying to convince myself and i had friends who tell me but kelly every time you would describe it it was almost like you were convincing yourself that it was so true and so i looked at that of like oh wow like yeah you know look at that i really wanted to attach myself in this situation um yeah
0: is there attachment styles for romantic relationships? I feel like there should be just a category when they're talking about that. Right. <laughs> Where your mind is yeah. so conditioned that of must get in partnership, let me attach. Yeah. Yes. And then your mind, like you said, the mind is then battling the body and the heart because your heart is with the body yes. telling you like, hey, yeah, no, mm-hmm. but you're like trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to release yourself from the heart and the body to yeah. convince you know, yes, in that battle, which that battle, man, you can then end up getting, like you said, you said you had the nausea, which the love sickness. You can start getting like a headache because mm-hmm. you're so much in your head right. battling. Bad. And then next, you know, you're like, you're not feeling great because right. you are just in that monkey mind trying to convince your body to feel something different than it feels. Exactly. It completely. Yes. Yeah. So interesting. Okay, so then how are there any other tools that you would recommend
1: if you're in that situation? Yes. Also doing some writing. You know, a lot can come up in our unconscious. And there's something about the pen to the paper that I think is really powerful. So, you know, having a safe space to write, knowing nobody else is going to read this. I also tell people if they're ever scared, you know, you can get a password protected journal or a lock and key. But really just saying to yourself, okay, this is my free space to write whatever. No one's going to read this. No one's going to judge me. Because sometimes when we talk to our friends, we censor, right? Um, or we're afraid, okay, if we share this, then you know they're going to look at me differently. And so it's just writing, giving yourself that free space to write everything and then see what comes up for you.
0: That's great. I always recommend that, you know, writing to journaling mm-hmm. and I mean, talk about getting to know yourself. I feel like when I'm writing, things just come out. It's like, oh, there it is. Yeah. In a whole different way. Exactly. Um. Okay. So then what are some important questions to ask in the first few months of
1: dating seriously? Mm-hmm. So I think w- one of the questions is like, you want to be on the same page as to what you're both looking for, right? And that doesn't have to be an immediate date question, but I think, you know, pretty soon into it, right? Because I think a lot of people may want to date casual, the other person may want long-term. So I think you do want to get on the same page with that because you don't want to set yourself up for disappointment, right? Um, Because if you're thinking, okay, I want something long-term and this person's like, oh, I just kind of got out of a relationship. I just want to have fun. You want to just make sure you're on the same path. Um, I think you want to understand somebody's values and beliefs and kind of see if you, again, if you align in that way. Um, I think it is important to ask about past relationships. I think one key sign... A lot of times if you ask somebody about their past relationship and they're bad mouthing their ex and not taking their own accountability for some of the things in the relationship, that's a red flag because that means that they're not having the self-awareness around what they contributed in the relationship or they haven't done some reflection on that. I think it's also uh, looking at how compatible are you? Do you like the same things? And then again, looking back to that list of does this person kind of meet this criteria that I'm looking for?
0: So if somebody then is, and I'll say you mentioned, you know, um, the compatibility Mm -hmm. also, though, comes with it support. Like, so say if you like to do something and the other person doesn't, but they love that you love doing that and they're giving support and compassion and excitement Mm -hmm. for you. It doesn't mean that you can't be with that person. Agreed. You know, you are allowed to have different things that you go do Mm -hmm. and supporting one another. And being each other's, like, cheerleaders, if you will. Yes. Um, And then also, though, if you're in a relationship and say that somebody may have not realized that they had some trauma in the past (laughs) from a previous relationship and all of a sudden the trauma comes to surface and in the relationship then they may emotionally feel really vulnerable. So then physically they're not in the space to really... want to be as intimate in terms of sex, Mm -hmm. but they previously had sex. Mm -hmm. How is that then handled? Like, what would you
1: say to a client? Sure. So trauma is very, very hard. I think that if you can communicate any of that to your partner, I think that's so helpful. So whatever you feel Like you can at least explain so the partner understands that you're working through something, right? And that doesn't mean you need to quicken your pace, but it just means, hey, let me just communicate to my partner. Hey, I've had some stuff happen to me. i got to go a little slower. Or, um, you know, when this happens, it often triggers me. Just a fair warning. So whatever you can just convey, I think is super helpful to the other person because we sometimes create like a wall. We don't even realize it because of our trauma, and then the other person's like, "What's going on here? Are they not interested?" You know so we just need to bridge that gap a little bit, and then I would highly recommend that that person seek their own individual therapy so that they can work through that and then have a healthy relationship through that so then what happens
0: in the experience if somebody if they are talking to the person about you know where they are and open mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yet the other person is like I understand, but at some point I'm really gonna need to have sex, and sex right. becomes like yeah. this is what I need. Right. Yet the other person is still processing and not really there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that handled then in terms of like resolving the differences and mm-hmm. being compassionate, <clears throat> you know, to one another needs to in sure. terms of the relationship.
1: So I think at that point, if I had two people coming in, I'd say, okay, we absolutely should have a couples session. So if you can seek a couple's therapist, who can work through that with you. Um, and there are techniques to work through that. Um, there's something called sensei focus, which I also talk about in the book. Where What does that mean? You know, so it's basically a technique where if people haven't had sex and they want to start that path again towards having sex, but there is trauma or there's other issues, it's really a gentle way of kind of integrating it again and so there's kind of three phases and the first phase is just sort of a gentle touch with sex off the table so it'd be like a light massage or hand holding or you know it's just really getting into the pleasure of touch again without the pressure of having to have sex and so it'd be you know something like that that I'd work through the couple with um, <clears throat> and then there'd be a ed- education around when somebody's had trauma especially the sexual trauma the partner needs to understand what that looks like and that this may take a while and understanding a little bit more in that. And so then they can be more patient and understanding as they go through that.
0: It's interesting that um, I also hear from clients just different aspects in relationship with sex, which, <laughs> yes, you're having a relationship with each other. But then there's also like a relationship with your emotional, your mental okay. bodies, your physical bodies and the relationship with sex. Yeah. And how sometimes in an unconscious way, sex could be used in some ways to weaponize, which then can bring discomfort in different ways, whether mm-hmm. or not like it could even be where, you know, somebody might be upset with the other person and then they're mm-hmm. withholding sex. Yeah. Sure. And then the other person feels rejected. Like, what are some tools for that? Because it can get messy. Yeah. Mess- messy. Yeah.
1: yeah. Again, so if I had this couple in my office, the first question would be, you know, what does sex look like to you? What does it mean to you? Because I think it's important because for some people it may be strictly about pleasure. For other people, it may be about closeness and connection. For other people, um, sex feels good when there is, you know, that real intimacy, right? Looking in each other's eyes, you know. So I think it's like kind of really understanding each other's point of view around sex too. Um, and then it- you know, also talking about what happens when one person does feel like it's kind of weaponized against them. what does that look like? Does the other person want um you know power in this relationship? So I think it's understanding the power dynamic I mean there's so much there, but I think you're on to something that it's very common too that happens and so as you're you know if
0: somebody is beginning to date, and I'm mm-hmm. just bringing this up because I think that not only especially if one thing, if you're dating in your teens and your 20s, that's mm-hmm. kind of different kind of dating. When you're getting into your 30s, 40s, and 50s, it's especially in your 40s and 50s, it's like a whole nother different kind of dating. Mm-hmm. It's like different dating. Here. Yeah, for sheep. But I think this is important where not only looking at, you know, financially, which I think sometimes can be really difficult for people because it can be uncomfortable, but also in terms of what it is that you want in your sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And understanding what you want, you know, not I think that's like people say love language, but I'm like, well, what is your sex language, too? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want? Yep. Oh, because you just brought up how different people have different things. Like one person, it might be about the physical enjoyment. Someone else, it could be about, you know, the cuddling and looking to right. each other's eyes. But you yep. can't expect your partner or the person you're beginning to date to have a similar possible like sexual language right. it's very true so it's about then the bridging and then mm-hmm. and being open to be able to talk about it right? right exactly and the confidence and the courage so just really you know bringing that too and then also that if there are some challenges you mentioned you know seeking out couples therapy mm-hmm. and that's something that you also do right couples yes. therapy correct Okay, so then how can couples therapy then help people? And what happens if you're just beginning to date someone and you Mm -hmm. do like them, but you're finding that your communication styles are
1: different? Right. Like, could you go to couples therapy if you're just beginning to date? Like, what do you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I'm all obviously biased as a therapist, but I'm all about therapy for individuals and couples. And I, I never think it's too early. Um, In fact, it's usually too late where things are. So I think, yeah, if you're noticing things right away, I think absolutely. If your partner is open to it, I think you could learn so much. I mean, there's something about, you know, being in a setting where you kind of feel safe because you can really say what you want. And there's a moderator who's going to kind of help not let it escalate. And uh, I think there's a safety in that where a lot of times people don't feel like they can have that conversation or, you know, I'd kind of help pull it out of some of those difficult conversations that sometimes are hard for partners to have on their own. But yeah, I'm all for it. I think it's really great and a great way to connect and understand each other and learn more. Which you also
0: bringing up the safety aspect, part of it is, is, you know, understanding how to cultivate safety, not only for yourself, but also another, I call it that sacred space as well. And communication tools, again, Mm -hmm. not expecting that that person that you're dating They may not have advanced communication skills, but that doesn't mean that you can't date the person. Right. Just encouraging people to seek the support or getting, you know, just that kind of help that they need to advance these communication abilities. Right. Exactly.
1: So look at it.
0: Yeah. With that, then, is there anything else before we wrap up that you could give us tips and tools or any other suggestions for people?
1: Sure. I love how this kind of like wrapped all around. We talked about so much. But I think, yeah, that first step is really like loving yourself and trusting yourself. Because in order for any relationship to work, those two really need to be in hand. I mean, they really do. Um, but so yeah, let's see, other tools that we haven't talked about. Um I think connection, if you're also if you're not connecting with regards to dating and you're single and you're not connecting with a partner, you know connection can happen in other ways, right? So maybe it's recognizing, hey, I wanna build a stronger connection with my mom, you know, and I wanna rebuild that and focusing on that or, you know, oh gosh, I've extended family that I'm not in contact with. And so we can build connection in other ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be romantic.
0: Great, I love that. And then if people would
1: like to work with you, where Mm -hmm. can they find you? Sure, so my website is kelly, K-E-L-L-I, millertherapy.com. And then I have Instagram, same thing. It's at Kelly with an I, Miller Therapy. I have a YouTube channel if you search my name. Um, and yeah, I love this topic especially. So I'm happy to work with anybody surrounding this and other things also, of course, too.
0: Great. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, Kelly. We so appreciate it. And then before we go, as many of you know, I like to de-link. So feel free to say this after me if this resonates with you. If you're a Reiki practitioner, you can also do dry bathing. I asked to break the links with this podcast. I asked to break the Reiki links, leaving only harmony and balance at either ends. I also asked to clear any residual energies being held in my body as a result of these links. I asked the light, the Reiki, to fill the void, cells, rejuvenates, refreshes, revitalizes, for my highest, good with ease and grace, and so it is. May peace be with all of you. Thank you so much. And remember, everyone, everyone has the ability to connect into their self-healer. Activating is key learning to shift from low vibrational frequencies to higher. It's a process to learn, grow, and master. So be patient and kind and compassionate with yourself as you discover the ability to do so. Much love, light, and Reiki blessings, everyone.